Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, this morning, and as we sit under your word and as we listen, that you would uh, make it clear to us of your truth, the eternal truth to us, that it will be engraved in our hearts so that we may have gained understanding. So speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, you know, can you guys believe that this, this is the last Sunday of 2018? I hope you guys had a good, um, uh, the Christmas break, or if you had a break. Um, but, um, you know, as we think about this past year, I think all of us can agree that all of us have had our share of ups and downs. If you just stop and think about it, there are a lot of things that have happened. Some things that are really exciting, great, but there are also things that were not so great. The things that are forgettable. But through it all, one thing still remains the same. And it is that God still reigns supreme over all. And that's something that we have to just think about. And um, today's message, I uh, titled it, uh, The Journey to Emmaus. Uh, you know, before we go back to um, Genesis, we're going to be looking at the centrality of the gospel, uh, today and next week. Uh, so this past week, uh, PJ asked me what I would be speaking on for the next two weeks. And I told him about this, and then when he heard it, he kind of chuckled, and he just shook his head as if to say, this guy, I mean, this is all that he talks about, right? Um, so, but it's okay, it's okay. Um, the preaching of the gospel is, is, uh, is my passion, uh, and I believe it is my calling. And um, you know, for me, I really want to know the gospel more in a deeper way, and to really make it known to people. Uh, you know, every day, we interpret, uh, interpret what people say. When people say some things, when it's not really clear, we want them to really clarify it to us. Hey, so what do you mean by that? Right? And so we ask for clarification. And um, even though we, we hear what they say, and yet sometimes what we hear it's not so clear to us. We don't know exactly what he or she means. So we say, hey, what do you mean by that? And then so we have to kind of explain. This is what it means. And as Pastor Jay has done in the beginning of the worship service, as we read the scripture for call to worship, but what does it really mean? So we explain things. And that's what we do. We do that all the time, every day. And how we interpret Sayings or things makes a big difference in the way we respond to them. Is it not true? How we interpret, how we take it, it really makes a big difference. So um, many years ago when uh, my wife and I, when we were kind of seeing each other in the beginning of our relationship, we just went on a few dates. And then I was saying, hmm, she's mighty fine and she's mine, right? And so one day we, uh, I decided to have a DTR session in the define the relationship. Are we going to continue kind of going on dates or are we going to kind of take this to the next level? And for me, I, you know, as a man, I have to just take the initiative and then say, all right, I'm going to just ask her that we're going to go take this to a next level. And, you know, you know what that means. It means that we are going to not simply just kind of date around, but to, it's a courtship, right? And so I uh, asked her, right? And so would you like to, and I would like to really, I'm really interested in you. And um, so let's take this a little step further. And then there was a little pause. She was thinking, and I was like, 
Oh my goodness, I was like so nervous. Uh-oh, because in my mind, that's not how it was going to go. I thought she was like, sure, right? And then let's go for it. But then she, there was a little pause and it really made me really nervous. Uh-oh, what is, what is she going to say? And then she said, why don't we take this a little slower? Let's take it slow, right? And my heart just sank because I thought what she meant when she said, let's take this slow meant... Oh, well, it was nice getting to know you, but, you know, I don't want to be mean to reject you, but I'm going to put you on friend zone, right? That's how I understood when she said, let's take this slow, right? Because you know how sometimes ladies, you don't want to hurt the other, the guy, and so you want to say, yeah, you know, like, maybe we can just, yeah, meet a couple times, but, you know, eventually it'll just die out or something. So that's how I understood what she, when she said, let's take this slow, so I was, I was crushed. I was like, oh my goodness, I got rejected. She gave me Heisman, right? And uh, so I got rejected, and so I was really crushed, right? But what she really meant was, okay, let's stay, take this step, uh, take a little step further. Let's go to the next level, but let's not rush into to doing things. Let's take our time, right? And that's what she meant, but because I was so insecure about what she was going to say, so that's how I took it. You see, like, even though she said one thing, how you interpret can really make a world of difference. So I came to a complete different conclusion from what she meant. So I was like, oh my gosh. And so it had to be, I had to go through a, a friend, somebody who knew us to, to clarify what she meant because I thought it was really over. Like she, oh, she's not interested in me. And you see, how we interpret what is said, what is written, makes a di- big difference in the way we respond to them. You know, not only do we interpret what each other is saying, we also interpret the written documents, such as the Constitution. The Supreme Court's one of the main functions is to interpret the Constitution. Whatever the legislation that comes along, it decides, if it comes to them, that they decide whether it's constitutional or not. It depends on how they interpret the, the Constitution. And, you know, when, and, uh, when they make uh, decisions, it can really have huge implications, right, in the society, such as their decision on the homosexual, uh, just marriage, uh, you know, things like this. So if how to interpret a man, a Constitution, a man-made document has far-reaching implications, how much more impact what our, will our interpretation of the scripture have on us? How we understand, how we view what the word of God says, how we interpret the kind of impact that it will have on us. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to understand the scripture in a haphazard way because it can easily lead to heresy. If you have a superficial understanding of the scripture, if it is no more than an ancient religious text, barely relevant to you, that you are not going to really take the scripture seriously. And as a result, you are not going to take God seriously. <clears throat> um, you know, we can read, all of us can read what it says. Right? What it says in the Bible. But how are we going to interpret that? How, what does the text mean? I mean, what is it really saying? Right? That's the biggest, that's a bigger issue. 
how we understand the scripture, what is written there. And that this is where pastors or the leaders of the church come into play. We play an important role. Because with a superficial understanding, we're going to draw a flawed or wrong theology. right? And that's why prosperity gospel, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, they are such examples of really coming to a wrong conclusion because of the way, erroneous way that they interpret the Bible. So they are saying all these things that are wrong. When I was a teenager, when I didn't really know much about the Bible, I've been to church all my life, so I thought I knew. And then there was a, a revival meeting that I attended. And the pastor, uh, the revival uh pastor, the guest speaker, said this about the demon, right? Basically, he said the demons, basically, a lot of them are the souls or the ghosts of the people, the unbelievers who die. So when they die, their soul, their souls, they don't just go anywhere. They just float around on earth. The legions of like demons that Jesus talks about, that's why there are so many like demons. When I heard that, I was like, <gasps> Oh my gosh, there are so many like non-Christians who die. So man, look, think about how many demons there must be. It freaked me out. And I was really scared. And it's because it came from a pastor's, yeah, pastor, from the pulpit. I took it in. I, you know, I didn't really know anything. I didn't really have a sound theology. So because he was spoken from the pulpit, I just took it. Oh, he's a pastor. He must know what he's talking about. So it took me a while to get over that, unlearn what I've heard. You see, it's very important for us to really understand the scripture in a biblical way. The thing is, the disciples of Jesus, as we see here, weren't that different. Even though they followed Jesus and they heard him speak many times, their understanding of Jesus was incomplete and foggy. At best, they knew that Jesus was an extraordinary man. They didn't doubt that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. But to them, the, their idea, their picture of Messiah was far from what Jesus was talking about. Right? Their idea of Messiah was somebody, a political or military leader, that would just come, rise up against the godless foreign occupier, the, the occupying force of Romans. That he's going to rise, the Messiah is going to come and basically drive them out by force and restore the former glory of Israel back in the days of David. So that's their idea of Messiah. When they, when they said Messiah, that's their idea. You see, they didn't really have a clear understanding even of the term Messiah. They were really foggy. They had a very superficial understanding. It's like, me and my wife, once again, in the beginning of our relationship, I thought, you know, by just, you know how like when you are dating in the beginning, you put up the best front. So, you know, you know, you just want to present yourself the best version of yourself. And so I thought I kind of knew, ah, okay, ah, oh, she's like that. I kind of figured it out, right? Boy, was I wrong. I had a really foggy, very incomplete picture of who she was. Right? But I thought that I, I was getting to know her and I, I kind of figured her out. So even now, I think even this morning she said, you don't know me, right? Um, cause I don't, yeah, I, it's, it's gonna take lifelong 
to figure her out or to get to know a person. Same thing when it comes to Christ. Maybe some of us have been to church all our lives. And every Sunday you hear basically the same message over and over again. And so you come to think that you may already know about Christ, the, what the Bible says. You know something about God. But that's not necessarily true. Just because you hear things does not mean that you have the right understanding. Right? So here, this is what, in this long passage that we just read, that's what we see on this Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday in this passage. But they were talking to themselves, oh my goodness, how can this be? The Messiah, the military and political leader that was going to deliver us from Romans, he becomes condemned as a criminal and he actually dies. How sad this is, how devastating this is because that was our expectation of him. That's who we thought he was. He was going to do this for us and drive out this godless Romans from our land. So their hope is dashed. They were crushed. They were devastated. And when Jesus comes along, obviously, they don't really understand uh, that they were kept. But so they didn't recognize because how they were, they were very sad or distraught that they didn't see who he was. And so in verse 25, Jesus says, and he said to them, is that in the back? Yeah, good. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That was the response of Jesus when these disciples were thinking about this and had an incomplete, wrong idea about Jesus. That was his rebuking. And in verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And the question is, is this, is Jesus saying this to us as well? For those of us who have been churched, who have been to church often, who, and those of us who think we really know what the Bible is, what Christianity is, is it possible that Jesus is speaking to us? Are we slow to understand the truth? So what does this what does this passage teach us about how to interpret and understand the word of God? So I have two points. The first point is this that Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises. Christ is the fulfillment of God's promises. Here we see two disciples, one named Cleopas, are on their way to uh, Emmaus, about seven uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. And once again, they are so distraught that the stranger that uh, that joined them, they didn't realize that it was Jesus. And what follows reveals their understanding of Jesus. Because in verse 19, it says this, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up uh, to be condemned to death and crucified him. But uh, we had hoped 
that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. So that's their understanding of Jesus. They thought that he was a prophet, mighty indeed. Somebody they were, they were hoping to redeem Israel. Of course, in an earthly term. Right? And that was a very typical understanding of Messiah at that time. As we see throughout the four Gospels, we see that disciples, they just don't get it. They've been with him for three, three, three and a half years, and they still don't get it. They have seen the, the, the miracles after miracles, the very word of God, day in and day out, and still for three years, they still don't get him. At best, the, the, the best conclusion that they came to was a, he was a man of, he's a prophet, a military or political leader, leader that would hopefully just restore the glory of Israel. They don't realize that the promises of God's Messiah are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so that's why Jesus rebukes them for their lack of understanding. Jesus has throughout his life, throughout his ministry, has repeatedly <coughs> said that he has come to fulfill the Old Testament of Scripture. He didn't come to destroy or nullify what was said in the Old Testament, but to fulfill the scriptures. You know, around that time, Jewish understanding of how God would deliver his people and bring back his rule on earth was, there was no consensus. It was very divided and um, there was very incomplete. Because when uh, there were passages, when you read in the Old Testament, the Jewish scripture, there are passages that talk about a great prophet that's going to do this. And there is a mention of a great king rising up to bring back God's rule. There are also passages about the servant of God suffering mightily. There are passages about salvation coming through the Messiah. There are passages about the, the law written in the heart, written on the heart. So all these promises and all these prophecies of things to come were just scattered throughout in the Old Testament. So to them, they didn't really realize how many people will be there in the end times when the, the glory is restored to the people of God that is Jewish, uh, Israelites at the time. They didn't realize how many of these passages uh, and how many people will come to just fulfill something, parts of it. Right. So there wasn't any consensus. So they didn't know how many end time figures there would be since there seemed to be many different roles and descriptions. So into this confused and incomplete understanding of the scripture, Jesus comes and he claims that all these scriptural promises are unified in him. All the strands, right? The powerful prophet, a mighty prophet like Moses or Elijah, a mighty king the son of David, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the son of God, are all wrapped up in one person, Jesus. When all that the, their understanding at the time, so maybe, would there be like four or five people that's going to come and just, you know, just fulfill all these things? 
They didn't know. There wasn't any consensus. They didn't know. But nobody had any idea that there would be only one person that would fulfill all these promises. How unlikely is that? With all these prophecies and promises that are given throughout the script in the, in the Old Testament, that it will be fulfilled in only one person. That it was just beyond their understanding, beyond the wildest of their dreams. A key theme in the whole Bible is that glory follows suffering. Right? That's just the way God has designed it. And yet, people at the time, when they thought about Messiah, the Son of God, they only thought about glory. Oh, he's going to come and just you know, crush the enemy and restore the glory that we have enjoyed from the, the times of David. They couldn't fathom the suffering had to precede glory. But that's how God has designed it. And Jesus' life was about that. He suffered and now he's glorified. And the link between the two, his suffering and his glory, was his resurrection. And because of his resurrection, all the promises converge on Jesus. It's like this. Uh, I'm sure you guys have heard this. When you, um, there was a big elephant and then they had some you know, blind man just go and touch and they describe to them what an elephant is like, looks like. So one blind man goes to the, to the, the legs, right? He just like touches it and he describes the elephant as, oh, elephant is like a, a tree, tree trunk. It's this round, you know, cylinder thing. So that's what elephant is. And yet another blind man goes and happens to touch the, the side, his body. No, 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 no. Elephant is not like a tree. What are you talking about? It is like a wall, right? It's just like it's this long, wide wall, right? Elephant is like a wall. And yet another ele- uh, blind man goes and touches the trunk. and says, no, no, no. It looks like this, you know, long, like a hose or something. That's what an elephant looks like. You see, all of them were only seeing part, only partially, of what was, uh, and then they only describe what they have felt, what they have sensed. But it was not the complete picture. But then Jesus comes and says, I am the ultimate reality. All these promises that were given, all the prophet, uh, prophecies that were given in the Old Testament concerning the coming Messiah, I have come and I have fulfilled every one of them. Only in one person. There is a progressive revelation of God's promises. But there was this progression of revelation. From the, the, from the, as we looked at from Genesis on, that there was this little bit. God didn't just like drop the whole picture on us, but little by little, He would just give glimpses of His promises. But then there was this like crescendo, right? There was this greater and greater understanding and revelation of God. So people were still longing and waiting. So when is this person going to, how is this going to all come to an end? And so Jesus says, the Christ had to come and do all these things. I am the one. I am the one who has fulfilled all the promises that have been made in the scriptures. There's something that we have to understand. is how we are to interpret. And the second point is this. That all of this is uh, really the crux of the message. Is all of Scripture bears witness to Christ. 
all of Scripture bears witness to Christ. Jesus is saying all of Scripture really points to Him. I'm not just talking about the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, because the Scripture that Jesus is referring to here, obviously, is the Old Testament. I said this uh, when we are going through the early chapters of Genesis. The casual reading of the Old Testament leads people to think that the Old Testament is all about God's dealings with Israel. That it doesn't really seem relevant to us because we are not Jewish. But that's not how we are to understand Scripture. And another tendency is to read the Old Testament stories as isolated, somewhat loosely connected stories, but they don't really connect. There isn't really any common thread. I mean, if you think about it, what does uh, the fall of Adam and Eve have to do with Noah's Ark or with Exodus or David and Goliath and all these stories that we hear? And that's how I used to read the scriptures, especially when it came to the Old Testament. I basically just read each one and on its own. It just stands on its own, and I try to find the moral of the story. Hmm, so what is this really saying? Okay, so the fall of Adam and Eve is this, um, David is this, and this story is this. I didn't really see any connections. To me, the Old Testament was basically a bunch of hodgepodge stories, cool stories, cool bedtime stories. Right, that we used to hear. I, I used to hear growing up in the church. But you see, there is this whole, whole new dimension that many people really miss. And that is the foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament. And verse 27 is the key verse to our understanding of how we are to understand, how we are to interpret the scripture. Verse 27, it says this. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. We weren't there, but Jesus says, Luke records that Jesus, starting from Moses, obviously starting from Genesis, he's been going through scripture, passages after passages, right? Showing them to these, to these two foggy, these um, disciples showing them how the scripture, starting from Moses and all the prophets, basically all the scripture, how it's pointing toward him. It's witness, bearing witness to him. You see, the Old Testament stories are to be understood in light of the gospel and in light of Christ. Right? Noah's Ark, as I said before, Oftentimes we can just think of, oh, let's be like Noah, right? Let's be like Noah. Let's, let's trust God and then just like get prepared for whatever. And let's be like Noah. The focus now that is on Noah or me, what I should do, right? But really, the story of Noah, it foreshadows Christ, what he has done. Just as in Noah's art, Noah, right, uh, received God's salvation and the deliverance from God's judgment, so does, it paints a picture of the gospel where Jesus also, just like Noah's ark, becomes our ark. That when we put our trust in him, when we just go under, when we are under the shadow of his wings, when we take refuge in him, trust in him, that we also receive and experience the deliverance of God. And that's what Noah's ark is really about. 
manna. You know, it's not just about just this daily miracle that the Israelites were receiving every single morning from God uh, while they were traveling in the wilderness because there was nothing else to eat. But Jesus himself says, I am the heavenly manna, the true manna. It points to Christ, how we are to feed on Christ, how we are to really know and love him every single day of our lives. It points to Christ. David and Goliath, right? How often, and I've preached this like this too. Oh, let us be like David, right? When we look at a mountain of like problems that we have in our lives, let's just like be like David and just have more faith, right? Is that how we are to understand the story of David and Goliath? Or is it that it really just paints a picture of the gospel through the story of David and Goliath? That on behalf or for the sake of many, one man goes out there and defeats the enemy. And through his righteousness and through his victory, all of God's people receive victory. It's not that, you know, all these Israelites, you know, they were scared. They wouldn't dare to go up against this giant Goliath. No one did. No one dared. But one man went out there. And through his righteous act, through his victory, the whole people of God received victory and salvation. And isn't that what the gospel is? The Christ, one man, went and bore the sin of the world, all of ours, on behalf of us, on behalf of God's people, Jesus went up by himself, received the full and the brunt and the punishment of God. And in the end, through his victory over death, all of us now receive the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us. That's the that's how I see. That is the picture of the gospel. Tim Keller says, what is the Bible really about? Is it about me? How, what I must do to earn God's favor? What I must do to please God? Or is it primarily about what Christ has done for us? According to this passage, Jesus says, all of scripture started from Genesis. It bears testimony, witnesses about me. Right? The Bible is not really all about you. It's about Christ and how God's promises are fulfilled in Christ. Because the moment and when we look at the Bible and say, oh, what should I do? How, what, what should I do to earn God's favor? Then it becomes a man-centered religion because it's all about you, what, what you should do, right? But when you look at it from the, uh, the, the, the angle of what has Christ has done? What is God? What is, what has God done? What is the work of God? That's how we understand the, the, the character of God. And then as a result, secondarily, then it just it only follows that we are to respond uh, accordingly. After their eyes were opened, as if the veil had fallen from their eyes, the two disciples acknowledged how life-giving it was for them to hear about Christ and how Christ is embedded throughout Scripture, finding Christ in all of Scripture. In verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn 
within us, while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the scriptures. Even though these disciples, they were, you know, just raised as Jewish, so from there early on, they were required basically to memorize the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, right? Can you imagine? Who of us, like, even just memorizes one chapter, right? But they memorized. They thought they knew the Bible inside and out. And yet, when Christ went through and they talked about passages, when it was a bearing witness to Christ, what was that? It was such life-giving that did not our hearts really just burn? Wasn't our hearts really burn about with the truth of the gospel? Has that been the experience for you guys? Have you met this Christ revealed in all of Scripture? Or is your understanding of Jesus much like that of the disciples who just simply had a fuzzy understanding? Ah, oh, yeah, I think Jesus is kind of like this, Jesus is kind of like that. Because you heard some things growing up in the church thinking that you know all there is to know about Scripture or about Jesus. Is Jesus a part-time Lord? Yeah, you don't deny that Jesus is Lord. But still, we only just follow Jesus when it's convenient for us. When it doesn't really cost us, then we follow Jesus. But when it really costs, it's costly. When it's really inconvenient for, inconvenient for us to follow Jesus, then we say, oh, sorry, Lord. Yes, you are Lord, but you're going to be part-time Lord, Master. Because other this area of my life, I have to be the master. What is your understanding of Christ? It was late in the day. They already had their meal and were going to stay overnight. What they have seen cannot wait to be reported until the next day. So they had to tell the people and others about the appearance of Jesus. So they returned at once to Jerusalem that very night. The reality and the truth of Jesus' resurrection and his truth begin to sink in for these disciples. And they da- their dashed hope rises from the, uh, from the ashes. That his resurrection causes the resurrection of their hope. So the question that I want to pose to you is, where are you? Where are we in our journey to Emmaus? Are we like these two disciples? Not seeing Christ as he truly is in our lives, even though he is exalted, resurrected Christ. But do we still just regard him as a part-time Lord or somebody that we would kind of just hear about on Sunday morning? But for the rest of the time, forget it. It's on me. I'm going to be my own God. Are we still caught up in the cares of this world and all we see is what's happening in my own little world. That's all we see. And how we're going to just get out of this hopeless situation. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this situation? It's all about me, myself, and I. Do we turn to the scriptures? And all we see is, all we see is, is about me, what I should do. Are we seeing the Bible as a little more than a self-help book? Oh, I feel depressed. I feel sad. I'm angry. So what, which portion of the scripture should I turn to so that it would just kind of soothe my you know, soul? How, where should I turn so that I can feel better about myself or I can feel better about my situation? 
so often many Christians. That's how we treat the scripture. It's whenever we are in need of something, some kind of emotional like support, comfort, and encouragement, that we turn to the scriptures. But other times, is it really truly the word of God speaking to us to every aspect of our lives? Do we see the exalted Christ who reigns supreme, who defeated the, the sting of death, overpowered and defeated and triumphed over death? Is our heart burning within us as we gaze upon the true and exalted Christ as revealed in the scriptures? Where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you like these disciples before they met Christ, trudging along with some foggy idea, ideas about Jesus? Are you like these disciples after they truly encounter the exalted Christ, fully revealed in all of Scripture, and seeing how all of Scripture, the Word of God, speaks to the resurrected mighty Prince of Peace. It's my prayer for all of us that as we go through, you know, the next, uh, in the new year of 2019, that we will truly come to a deeper understanding of the gospel, deeper understanding of who Jesus is, and to really allow him to be the true uh, Lord of our lives, that we would truly surrender ourselves, every aspect of our lives, and live a life that is worthy of the gospel, living according to the will and the purpose of God. Let's pray.